You know, um, about a while back, I, I don't know how long it was, how long ago it was, three or, uh, three or four weeks ago, we started a series on the fivefold ministry and on the gov- and on the um, fivefold government and and how the body of Christ relates to the fivefold ministry and the purpose for fivefold ministry. And we talked about the fact that God gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of service. And we talked about how the, the purpose of the fivefold ministry was for the saints to actually be equipped so that the saints could actually do the work of service and that that would build an ecosystem where we build one another up in love instead of everything flowing towards the, the, the prophet or the apostle, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher, that actually the, the primary responsibility of each of the fivefold ministers is that they would give what they have to the saints, and the saints would be equipped so that the saints could build up the saints. In fact, it says that we build one, and up, one, one another up in love. And um, I think that it's been... Uh, in fact, let me just read this. I love this passage out of Ephesians. We actually um, end it with this portion. It says... Uh, Verse 16, talking about the reason for the... It says, as a result, we're no longer children to be tossed here and there by waves. In other words, the, for the, the reason for the fivefold ministry is that we wouldn't be children, that we would grow up in everything in God. Verse 15, we'd speak the truth in love. Verse 16, in whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And so the goal of fivefold ministry is that the, build, the body would build itself up in love. That when we get equipped from the prophets, when we get equipped from the teachers, when we get equipped from the apostles and the, and the pastors and the evangelists, that we would actually, we'd actually have what we need to build up each other in love. And so no longer do we come to church so that we can get fed. How many know that's a dysfunctional paradigm? That we come to church to get fed. Can you imagine if you did that in the natural? Like, well, you know, I, I, go to church, I, I just didn't get fed at that church. How many know that the goal is that you'd learn how to feed yourself? That the goal of the teacher is not, I mean, the primary goal of a teacher is not necessarily to teach, but to release on you the ability to get from yourself what you need from the Word. The goal of the pastor is not to pastor. The primary goal of the pastor is to equip you to help you help each other get well and, and stay well. Do you understand what I'm getting at? The, goal, the primary goal of evangelists is really not to lead people to Christ. I'm saying the primary goal. The primary goal is to equip you to touch people who don't know God. The primary role of the prophet is not to prophesy. The primary role of the prophet is to equip you with eyes to see and ears to hear so you have your own connection with God. And so um, we talked about the fact that we're, we're moving in this new paradigm where you, you don't just come to church, you become the church. And the church is moving from a global orphanage to a family so that, we, so that we're, we're, we're moving in, in, in a family dimension, in covenant love, and we're, we're moving in, in, uh, in accountability and in covering so that we actually become, come out of this whole mentality that, that we've, we come to church to hear from one person, but we actually come to get equipped so that we can, so that we can create a healthy ecosystem so when I need help, I got friends around me, I have family around me that can, that can help me. Are you with me? 
And so um, we've been working on this, this whole thing about what the fivefold government does and what the purpose of that is and how do we relate to fivefold government. And I want to talk today about moving from an Old Testament to New Testament prophetic ministry. Because the goal of the prophet is to equip the body to move in prophetic ministry. It's not, you know, I think it gets really strange when we have, we, we create one vessel or two vessels or some superstar who hears from God for us. And, and I think that, you know, I think there are times when the, when the Lord actually gives governing prophets a word for a church, a word for a city, a word for a nation or, or whatever, even, uh, per, even personal prophetic words. But when we, but when we decide that we're going to get all of our information about what God thinks of us, what God speaks to us through one person, that becomes a very dysfunctional culture. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so we want to move into a healthy culture. We want to move, we want to move into the, uh, a culture that's, first of all, that's New Testament, not Old Testament. And we've moved into this new uh, dynamic in that, uh, in that we're, we're a New Testament people. And I can tell you that most people take their model for prophetic ministry out of an old covenant, out of the wrong side of the cross. And it's easy to do that because whether 30, 40, 50 prophets in the Old Testament, Old Testament that we can actually model our, our life after, and there's two or three named prophets in the New Testament. But how many of you know that when you take your model from the Old Testament prophets, that you're actually, you're actually ministering on the wrong side of the cross, and you have the, and you have the wrong role in mind for your ministry. And um, I, I just want to kind of open up with that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, do, you, um, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill it. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus said, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John... And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom has been preached. Now, this is really interesting because he, said, he says in, in Matthew five seventeen, Do not think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Now, if God fulfilled the law and the prophets, did you notice it's not just the law, but he fulfilled the law and the prophets. It's important for us to realize that although he fulfilled the law and the prophets, that in Ephesians chapter 4, he said he gave some as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints to do the work of service, the building up of the body of Christ, until, until, how long did he give them for? Until we all attain the unity of faith to the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. In other words, that he gave apostles and prophets until we all look like Jesus. Would you agree that that hasn't quite happened yet? So here's my point. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, and he said, he said the law and the prophets were preached until John, but since that day, the kingdom's been preached. And I want to, I want to take you on a little journey and help us, and help you and help us to realize that although we still have prophets, that the role of the prophet in the New Testament is completely different than the role of the prophet in the Old Testament. So we have, we still have the office of prophet, we still have prophetic ministry in the New Testament, but we have a completely different reason for prophetic ministry. Jesus said it this way in, in Matthew chapter 11. He said, John the Baptist played the flute. I'm sorry, he played, he sang the dirge, and you did not mourn. I played the flute, and you did not dance. How many know that John the Baptist, he sang the dirge? In other words, John the Baptist sang the funeral song. 
Are you getting this? Jesus played the flute. In other words, Jesus played the wedding song. In Acts chapter 19, um, Paul meets some believers who, uh, they're brand new believers, and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, what baptism were you baptized into? And they said, we were baptized into John's baptism. How many of you know that John baptized for repentance? Jesus baptized for resurrection. Listen, John's baptism got you to, to the, it, it made the way for you, it got you to the baptismal tank. But when you, got, when you received Jesus and you got baptized, you didn't get baptized into John's baptism, hopefully. You got baptized into Jesus' baptism, you, get, you entered the, the, the baptismal tank with a cross, and you exited it with a crown. See, the goal was that in that tank, you would die, and you would be resurrected. That's what happened in that tank. In John, in John the Baptist, he baptized for repentance. You came, you confessed your sins, but there was no resurrection. I can't tell you how, many, how much of the church is living in an Old Testament prophetic ministry where they're still singing the dirge and the kingdom is being preached. The kingdom is supposed to be preached, right? The kingdom is the gospel and the gospel means good news. Uh, let's try that again. John preached repentance. Jesus played the flute. He made wine at a wedding at his, as his first miracle for people who were already drunk. You think that's a prophetic declaration or not? Jesus, uh, I mean, John ate grasshoppers. Jesus drank wine. Do you see any contrast here at all? John wore camel's hair. Jesus wore a seamless garment that was so expensive they gambled for it. John ministered in the wilderness. Jesus ministered at weddings. Which baptism were you baptized into? It says, it says the law and the prophets were until John. How did John die? How did he get executed? Remember, crucifixion was the way they even executed thieves. But how did John get executed? He lost his head. Why did he lose his head? Because he was the last of an old breed, so that way of thinking was cut off. He lost his head because it's a prophetic declaration that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. It doesn't mean there's not prophets today. It means that their role is completely different. Listen, the role of the Old Covenant was to teach us that we needed a Savior. The whole, listen, all these pages right here, up to the book of Matthew, you know what those are all about? Those are about the fact that you are a sinner, and you're unable to save yourself, and you need a Savior. Galatians said that all of that was written to teach us that we needed a Savior. So what was the role of the prophet in the Old Testament? The role of the prophet in the Old Testament was to... To, to let you know that sin deserves judgment. So the role of the prophet in the Old Covenant was judgment. Why? Because the message of the Old Covenant was sin deserves to be judged. And you need a Savior because justice came through judgment. Are, are you following me? So, man, that's a good word actually. 
What would, see, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we all not know that scripture. That says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. The next verse says, and God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And how did he do it? Not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. And we've been given, next verse says, and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? Not counting the trespasses against them. As if God was begging through us, Paul goes on to say, be reconciled to God. What would happen if you took an Old Testament prophet? This would be an interesting experiment. What would happen if you took an Old Testament prophet and you moved them on the other side of the cross? Well, we have that. Malachi chapter 4 says, In the last days, in the last days, here's the cross, right? In the last days, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, what did Elijah the prophet do on this side of the cross? He caused famines, killed hundreds of false prophets, prophesied against kings. Are you getting this? Stopped rain. You're getting this, right? You're getting the idea. That's what he did on this side of the cross. Right? I mean, even children died because they called him bald guy. Or maybe that was his predecessor. But the point is, is that was his ministry. Now, what happens if you take this guy who doesn't like kings, prophesies against nations? You know, you, you get the idea. What would happen if you moved him over here on this side of the, on this side of the cross? What's it say? In the last days, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. We're like, oh no. Not that guy. And what will he do? He'll restore the hearts of fathers to sons and the hearts of sons to fathers. Why does, wait a second, wait a second. What, what happened? When he moved from the old covenant to the new covenant, his job description changed. That's why it says seven times in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that the gift of prophecy is for edification. Edification means to build up. See, the Old Testament prophet wouldn't have had any idea why the Lord would send you someone called a comforter. Because they were called to afflict you. I don't know if you got all... Part of the good news is you got a full-time comforter. The Holy Spirit, the the Lord said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be your teacher. He's going to be your leader. He's going to be your encourager. And He's going to comfort you. I mean, the the Old Testament prophet would have, would know paradigm for why God would send you a comforter because they are sent to afflict you. To tell you how bad you are, how evil you are, and how wicked your heart is, and how you can't make it, and you're no good, and you haven't kept the rules. Why? Because the whole, all the Old Testament was leading to the fact that you needed a Savior. Your heart was exceedingly wicked, you don't even know it. I hear people quote that on this side of the cross. I heard a pastor quoted a couple years ago. He said, my heart's exceedingly wicked. No one can know it. I said, why don't you get saved? I'm serious. 
He said that. He's telling about, he prayed for this girl and she got healed. And so he said, I pray for this girl. He's so excited. I pray for this girl. And, and he's just about to tell me he got, that she got healed. And I, and I guess evidently he thought, well, that sounded very arrogant. So he said, I pray for this girl. She had this, this I forget what it was, to be honest, tumor or something. I pray for this girl and she had this tumor. And, and when I laid my hands on her, well, I just want to say before I say that, my heart is exceedingly wicked. And no one can know it. And she got healed. I said, that's awesome. I said, when are you going to get saved? He said, what? I said, the girl got healed, but you need to get saved. He said, why? I said, because you have a wicked heart. He said, I do. I said, you said you did. (laughs) What did Jesus do for you? Some people think Jesus died on the cross to get you back to zero. No, he transformed your heart. He gave you a new heart. In De- Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen, it says, the, a lot of people pick up their prophetic ideas from the Old Covenant, and, they, and I get this scripture written to me. Now, not too often anymore, written to me. That would be an edit, right, if it was in a book, right? People write this to me. People send me emails that have the scripture in it, all right? When I teach on prophecy, they don't like it. And then ruin their ministry. Matthew, uh, no, Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen, like you. I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them. All, he will speak them all that I command him. And it shall be, it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who speaks a word of presumption in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So, I get people, see, I teach, see, in, old, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we judged people. In the New Testament, we judge prophecy. In the Old Testament, I get people who write this, they write me this scripture, Deuteronomy 18, 20, and they say, the Bible says that if you prophesy and you get it wrong, you shall die. I notice they never quote the previous verse that says, if you don't listen to the prophet, you die. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You know that if your children messed up and were rebellious, you did not take them to Danny's Loving on Purpose class. You took them outside the city and stoned them. And if you married a woman and you found out on your wedding night that she wasn't a virgin, you took her out and stoned her too. And if you prophesied and you got it wrong, you got stoned. But if you prophesied and the people didn't listen, they got stoned. It kind of reminds me of a song that the Rolling Stones sang. It's an Old Testament song. Everybody should get stoned. But I think he was talking about a different kind of stoning. Which he would have got stoned for also in the Old Covenant. I think we're off point. Do you think we're off point? 
Here's where I'm going. In the Old Testament, if a prophet prophesied and he got it wrong, that, that he was re, they were required to execute him. But it is true that if the people didn't listen to the prophet, they got executed also. So it's really important for us to realize that there wasn't much that you can do in the Old Testament without getting executed for it. Because it's called, because it's called the ministry, read it, Romans calls the law the ministry of death. The Old Testament is the ministry of death. What's the point of the Old Covenant? To let you know you need a Savior. See, most people in, that's true, most people in our day, we don't realize how much Jesus did for us. You just need to take about, you know, a week or two and read through the whole Old Covenant and you'll just be really thankful you had a Savior. Because that's the goal of the book. By the time you get done at the end of the book, you go, I need help. And Jesus goes, that's right, that's the point of the book. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. Now this is very interesting. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. You'll notice that the connotation is to pass judgment immediately. Now how do you pass judgment on prophecy when prophecy is about the future? In other words, prophecy is foretelling and forthtelling. And why did they stone Old Testament prophets? Okay, let's start with that. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came on people. The Holy Spirit did not live inside of people. He came on people. So when the prophets spoke, there was no way to see if the prophecy came to pass. I'm sorry, let me start over. There was no way to see if the prophecy is from God, except for if it came to pass, it was God. If it didn't come to pass, it wasn't. Because the, the, the people who were being prophesied to didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. And the prophet that was prophesying actually only had the Spirit on him, not in him. Are you following me? So there was no way for you to judge. Let's say you're the the recipient of of the prophecy. There's no way for you to judge whether or not that prophecy was from God because you didn't have the Holy Spirit in you to know if the source of that prophecy was the Spirit. So the only way they had of judging prophecy was to see if it happened. Now, that might mean that the prophet may prophesy something that isn't going to happen for five years, and you may not know for five years whether that prophecy was actually from the Lord or not. Are you following me? So, so the prophet had lots of power, because the prophet could prophesy stuff. And remember, the other side that you never hear was that if you, if you were in that nation, or that prophecy was to you, and you didn't receive that as a prophecy, you were stoned. You were killed. So that put a lot of weight on the, prophet, on, the prophecy, on the prophet's words. If he decided to manipulate you, guess what? He had a lot of power to do that. In the New Testament, when we prophesy, first of all, we should be prophesying by the Holy Spirit. And the people we're prophesying to, if they're Christians, they have the same Holy Spirit in them that we have in us. So we can judge immediately... We can discern whether or not that prophecy is in its source is from the Lord because we have the same Lord in us that gave the word through that prophetic person or through that prophet. Are you with me? And so in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, and 20, uh, 19 through 21, it says, Do not quench the Spirit, 
Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Um, examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. Now, why would you despise prophetic utterances? It says, do not quench the spirit and do not despise prophetic utterances. First of all, let me just stop right there and say, there's a whole, there's a whole segment of the church that doesn't even receive pro- prophecy. I'm not speaking against it. I'm simply saying this prophetic, this word that Paul writes to the Thessalonians really fits a whole segment of the church where it says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. But I want to tell you that I think that despising prophetic utterances is probably happens more in prophetic churches than it does in people who don't even believe in prophecy. Because if you've heard lots of prophecies, you've heard people get it wrong. I don't know if you're with me. And what can happen is you can be like, if you know what, I don't want to hear one more prophecy. And he says, listen, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. But instead, do what? Examine everything carefully and hold fast to what is good. In other words, we, we are commanded to judge prophecy. We're commanded to judge prophecy and, to, and to, to discern whether or not the prophecies from the Lord, or if the whole prophecies from the Lord, or if the interpretations from the Lord, or if the applications from the Lord. Are you with me? Um, I think that we're coming into this new, uh, a whole new move of God in this whole area of, not just prophecy, but in the whole area of supernatural ministry. And I think that we're coming into this place where we're moving into a supernatural lifestyle where people, as we, as we, as we minister, where people are actually accountable to somebody. Now, I know it may be a silly example, but I play basketball, sort of. I think I play basketball. Some of the people I play with do not think I play basketball. But here's part of my struggle. I have never played on a team. No, let me say that again. I've never played on a team where there was a coach and a referee. And everybody who plays with me, who's played on a team where there was a coach and refs, they know that I've never been coached or refed. Because, see, if you grow up playing on it, like, let's say you made the team and, you know, I went out for basketball for four years. I just never made the team because it... Like, like Michael Jordan, the coaches did not see my talent early on. And <laughs> That's right. And the time between just really, you know, warming up and burning out was so short that I just flopped right over into burning out, I guess. But I, because I never played on a team where I was coached, or where there was refs. See, if you play pickup basketball, there's no refs. So if you foul somebody, there's no free throws. But when you play on a team, let's say you play in junior high school or high school, and you, know, you grow up playing on a team, and you actually play in a game where there's refs, and you foul somebody, it costs you points. And so you learn, I'm talking about, you, you, even subconsciously, you learn how to defend without trying to foul because you know that those fouls are going to cost you points. 
I've never played on a team where fouls cost you points. I've only played on teams where you fouled someone to not make a basket, and that was good news. And people will play with me like, you fouled me again. I'm like, ha ha, you didn't make the basket, did you? The other thing is, I've never played with a coach. So I've never played any, any, in any game where you actually, there was a strategy. <laughs> when, I, when we played in, a, in the, uh, the school, uh, the staff played the alumni, the staff played the, the students. And, and we actually had a coach and he said, you know, I want you to come over here and set a pick. Well, I thought a pick meant, you know, pick me, throw me the ball, I got the basket. I didn't know it meant, like, try to help the other guy get away. I'm like, why would I do that? It's all about me. So I've never been on a team. I've never had a coach. I've never had, I've never had refs. There's never been, there's, there's, you know, they go, that was a foul, but if they didn't make the basket, it's too bad. And I think that most of the church does ministry like that. No coach, no ref, no foul. (laughs) I think that prophetic ministry, well, I think all ministry, but just prophetic ministry. I think prophetic ministry needs to be coached. I think that it, there needs to be coaches, and I think there needs to be refs, and I think there needs to be fouls, and I think that when you have five fouls, you should be out of the game for a season. <laughs> and <laughs> I was talking to somebody, and he was, he was asking me a question in Asia. He said, he said, do you know so-and-so prophet? And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's a friend of mine. He goes, uh, what do you think of him? I said, oh, he's amazing. I, I, I love him. We're, we're great friends. He's a great father to the uh, whole prophetic ministry. He says, oh, well, what do you think about his prophe- prophecies? I said, oh, well, what do you think about his prophecies? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, just go back ten years and see all the major words that he's given and decide whether or not he's very accurate. He said, is he very accurate? I said, no. He says, he's not very accurate? I said, well, he got Y2K wrong. He got the Iraqi war wrong. He got the bird flu wrong. And I don't know what he thinks about the BP oil spill, but I can just imagine. And, and what happened after Y2K is we had all these prophetic people who prophesied stuff. See, you don't have to be on a team to get on the Internet. <laughs> it's just a pickup game. It's a big global pickup game. You just get on the Internet and prophesy anything you want. And people rush around trying to figure out what to do about your prophetic words. And guess what happens? The day after they don't happen, you just take them off and pretend it didn't happen. And people do that over and over. So Y2K, we had major prophets, major prophets, and I won't even name them because we're on iBubble TV. And people will write me. I, I don't, I'm not mad at them. Like, I, I love them. It's, it's fine. I've made my own mistakes. I don't want to be misunderstood, or, or I don't want you to mistake what I'm saying. We had major prophets who, who spoke about Y2K, and one of the prophets who, who we love and who visits and whose family said, Y2K is going to be worse than you can imagine. It was on their website. The day after Y2K, it was off. There was no, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. That was a foul. 
The bird flu, same person. The bird flu is going to be a pandemic. Pandemic. Millions of people are going to die. On the website. Not there now. No, I'm sorry. No foul. Iraqi war. Millions will die. The blood will flow. It's the mother of all wars. What happened? Off the website. No foul. I just got a long letter from a prophet. Actually, we wrote back and forth until we stopped writing back and forth. He's probably listening now. He must be listening to I Bethel because he he quotes me. And he said, he said, the BP oil spill is the beginning of the blood, the water turning to blood in the book of Revelation. And he gave me all the stuff of America's that, you know, all they've done with Hollywood and pornography. And he went on like that. They they deserve to be judged. And this is the beginning of the signs and the water is going to be turned to blood. And he's going on like that. I get these kind of, every time I share something wonderful, people just can't take it because I'm screwing up their ministry. (laughs) Don't mess with my judgment ministry. (laughs) And he wrote me a letter. It was, it was like five pages long. You know, it was all Old Testament scripture. Woe unto you, see you, and in hell. And I'm the, I, I'm the ear tickler. He's called me. I'm the ear tickler. I thought I was the horse whisperer, but I'm the ear tickler. <laughs> and see, part of the struggle is, is that one of the reasons why the prophets and prophetic people don't say, Hey, I was wrong about that. Hey, that Y2K thing. I got that wrong. I'm really sorry. The reason... Why the prophets most and the and prophetic people don't say I made, I got that wrong, is because they still have an Old Testament mindset that they think if they get it wrong, they're supposed to be killed or or stoned or they're a false prophet. And in the next uh, session I do, I'm going to do on false prophets. What is a false prophet? Well, a false prophet isn't somebody who gets the prophetic word wrong. As a matter of fact, a lot of false prophets get the words right. It's pretty easy when you're a psychic to know where the who, you know who committed the crime or where the child is when your boss is the one who committed the crime. He kills, still destroy. That's what the police department are looking for: people who kill, still and destroy. So it's not too hard for a psychic to get it right because their boss did the crime. As a matter of fact, you'll notice that Paul. Is, is, um, he's got this slave girl who has the spirit of divination. And what does she say? These are great men of God. Listen to them. Well, she happens to be right. Wrong spirit, right word. How about the demons who are inside of people? They're saying, this is the Christ. Listen, the Pharisees can't figure it out. But the demons have it figured out perfectly. They go, demons always lie. No, they don't always lie. Here we go. (laughs) 
They say, well, you know what? In the New Testament, you know, Agabus prophesied there was going to be a famine. I think he's the only named prophet in the New Testament. I, might, I could be wrong about that. I'll get a letter about that. But, <laughs> but um, he, pro- you, you know, he prophesied that there would be a famine. He did, but did you notice that he didn't say the famine was there because of someone's sin? Listen, do you think an Old Testament prophet would miss an opportunity like that? <laughs> no way. You know, I told you that, that prophecy is foretelling, I'm telling you the future, and foretelling, I'm causing the future. Remember, we did this whole thing, Ezekiel 37, or 47, 37, where God tells Ezekiel, prophesy of the bones, that's foretelling. He actually caused the bones to come to life. But foretelling is when God shows you the future. You know, if an Old Testament prophet saw an earthquake coming, I mean, you know, like he just saw like a natural disaster. There's no way that he wouldn't take advantage of that and go use it for some reason. Use it for, you know, use sin for a reason for the earthquake. But Agabus doesn't do that. Agabus says there's going to be a famine. And what do they do? They take an offering to break the famine. Why do they do that? Because Isaac sowed in a famine and reaped a hundredfold. Man, this is a good word I'm doing right here. <laughs> How about if I get the prophetic word wrong? Well, in Acts chapter 21, Agabus prophesied this. He says, as we were staying, for there, uh, staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus sees that Paul's going to be bound by the Gentiles. I'm sorry, bound. he's going to be bound in this way. The Jews at Jerusalem will bind this man and hand him over to the Gentiles. That's what he sees. What's he see? He sees the Jews binding up Paul and giving him to the Gentiles. That was his prophecy. Okay, in Acts 21, verse 32 through and 33, says at once, <clears throat> let's see, at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them, and they came and, uh, and saw the commander and the soldiers, and they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with chains and began asking him who he was and what he had done. Well, he goes on, here's the point. Agabus saw the Jews binding him up and handing him over to the Gentiles. What actually happened is the Gentiles bound him up and handed him over to the Jews. Now, was that a bad prophecy? Well, he did get bound, just had the details a little wrong. Um, in the book of Acts, Paul prophesied, I think it's in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts, he, he's on a ship and he says, listen, if you leave this port... There will be loss of ship and loss of life. We will all die. They don't listen to him and they set, they set out for sea. The, a few days later, or I think it's the next day, an angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Paul, listen, there's going to be loss of ship, but there will be no loss of life. Now you go, well, that's a minor issue. It is unless you're on the ship. What's the point? Paul got the prophecy wrong. He said there would be loss of life and loss of ship. 
But the angel came and said, listen, Paul, you got that wrong. We are going to lose the ship, but not one life will be lost. And what happened? They lost the ship, but they didn't lose one life. The angel came and corrected him. So, just because you get the prophecy wrong, doesn't mean you don't have a prophetic ministry. Or maybe you're called to be a prophet, and you get, the, you, get the prop, you get some of the details wrong, or you get the prophecy wrong. What are you supposed to do if you get the prophecy wrong? Well, you're supposed to say, I got that wrong. I'm really sorry. Is there anything I can do to clean up my mess? Are you with me? I remember this gal, this is a couple, I think it was maybe a couple years ago. Um, There was a gal who um, I met on a prayer line. I think it was here, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure it was here. And um, she had had a sonogram. She was like six or seven months along uh, in her pregnancy. And the sonogram showed that her baby was um, dead, was stillborn. And um, I, so we were praying for her, and I said, The Lord says, your baby shall live and not die. Your baby shall live and not die. The Lord says, this, this baby's going to live and not die. Well, um, however long it was after, uh, a couple months later, or two, three months later, she came to me, and she was really, really distraught. And she said, I lost my baby. And I said, oh, I'm really sorry. I had forgotten that I had prayed for her and prophesied over her. She said, you prophesied over me that my baby will live and not die. And she's like, I just don't understand why the Lord would say that to me. And then, you know, my hope's up and then I lost my baby. And um, I said, uh, I don't think it was the Lord. I think it was Chris made a mistake. I think Chris wanted your baby to live so badly that I gave you a good, encouraging word, but it wasn't a prophetic word. And she kind of looked at me and I said, I, I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? And, you know, she just bawled. And you can imagine, you know, that's a pretty major mistake. And so what do you do when you make a mistake? You say you're sorry. You, you, you say, I committed a foul. I, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I was wrong. Are, are you getting this? But I think we need a culture where we have coaches and refs, so to speak, so that when people prophesy, and I'm just talking about prophecy right now because it's really easy to describe, but I think this goes for all ministry. Like, we need to develop a prophetic culture. We need to develop a supernatural culture so that when people, when they minister into that culture, that we give them feedback how their ministry is affecting us, how their ministry is affecting the body. And when somebody prophesies, listen, I want to, one, of the, one of my goals for the school of the prophets we do every year is we bring prophets and prophetesses in to train and equip them. But most importantly, I'm trying to create a network of prophetic people, especially prophets and prophetesses from all over the world, where we create this accountability, this net, if you will. When people prophesy something, that they're actually immediately, the prophecy's judged, not the person. Listen, if the person gets it wrong, it doesn't make them bad, evil, uh, you know, the spirit of divination, anything like that. It just means they got it wrong. But I think there needs to be accountability so that when people prophesy stuff and they get it wrong, somebody should be saying, hey, that word that you did, that you put on the internet, that didn't happen, that was wrong, you need to ask for forgiveness for that. That was a foul. 
Listen, if you keep doing those, listen, if your major prophetic words are all wrong, you need a time out. You need to be benched for a season. There's something wrong with the core way you see life. Listen, I, I'm not kidding right now. Uh, the metaphor I'm joking about, but I, I'm really saying there are people, there are prophets, and I could name two or three that you would know that are famous prophets. Honestly, if they were playing a basketball game or a football game, they would be benched. I, I don't mean forever. I mean, there's something, there's a, there's a problem with their, there's a problem with their form. There's a problem with the way they see the world. I mean, there's one famous guy who has, you know, been famous for 30 years. And every time something happens in America, the next day he prophesies that it's something terrible, some disaster, some terrible thing. And let's face it, you know, you just look around, there's enough bad news without the prophets helping. You know, seriously, on a serious note, if you prophesy enough negative stuff, you're going to be right once in a while. There's just enough, there's enough evil people around that you're going, to be, you're going to be right once in a while. And this guy's got about 15 negative prophecies that he's prophesied since the 70s. You would absolutely know his name. He's written several books. And every time there's something happens, I haven't seen the oil spill thing, so I can't actually say every time. But every time before that, some major disaster happens. He's the first one to have a prophetic declaration that this is judgment against America. And I'm like, at some point, you have to look back at your own prophecies. And go, I didn't get this one right. I didn't get that one right. I didn't get this one right. I didn't get that one right. You know, maybe there's something wrong with my prophecy. And I just think that the body of Christ should start calling people to account for those. I think it's normal. I don't think it's harsh. I think we should say, hey, buddy, you know that one you took off the website? The one you had on there yesterday? About the bird flu? You know the one you had on there, Y2K, the next day there was nothing to happen? And I actually talked to the, a, a few of those people and they said, oh, well, we, we, we prayed it off. You notice how some people give negative prophecies? It's really interesting. They'll say this and this and this, and they'll, they'll, take, they'll take five pages to talk about what's about to happen, and then they'll say, unless the church prays. Well, you can't ever be wrong then. You can never be wrong, because you're like, you know what, this is going to happen. Oh, well, the church prayed. That's why it worked. Well, the church prayed, and we still got certain political people in. The church prayed, and we still have certain abortion laws in. But when the church prayed about your prophetic word, it worked perfectly. And it worked perfectly every time you gave one. Isn't that interesting? And I'm just saying, when are people going to take responsibility for the stuff they say? I'm not just talking about them, I'm talking about us. We need to develop a culture, when somebody prophesies to you, you go, hmm. They need to be thinking, I'm going to be coached. When they give you a word... They should expect feedback. And, and I'm not talking about negative feedback like, don't speak to me like that, or, you know, uh, Job had some bad years, but he had some good years, you know. <laughs> so another one, my pet peeves. Anyway, you know, somebody came to me and they said, you know, I see you like Job. I see that you're going to have like seven bad years, but then you're going to have double everything. I'm like, dude, that's not a good prophecy. 
just because it ends good isn't a good problem. Like, I don't want sores. And listen, Job was like a multimillionaire before he got that. How much money can one person spend? I'd be totally like, you know what? If the Lord said, listen, you're going to go through all this hell and you're going to get double. I'd be like, I'm totally okay with what I have. <laughs> what did you? I said, that's not a good prophetic word. She said, you're going to get double. I said, well, try it on yourself and see if you like it. I mean, some of these words, all people have to do is like, take a little sip. I mean, listen, if it doesn't cause panic attacks, panic attacks in you, then maybe give it to somebody else. I'm serious. All these people would have to do is just say, you know, play the prophetic word like on tape and then change the name to you and play it back. Like if it sounds encouraging, exhorting, comforting, then go ahead and give it. But if you're like, you're having anxiety listening to your own prophecy, I wouldn't give it to somebody else. And it's always easy to prophesy to someone you don't know. Like a country. (laughs) I was in Korea and um, I was... uh, Well, I got to prophesy to some people who were pretty uh, influential in government. And they, they actually brought them to me and they said, do you have any word for, the, for our nation, for South Korea? I said, yeah, the North Korean wall is going to fall. It's going to crumble. Just like the Russian Iron Curtain. So it's going to be from the inside out, but it's not going to happen for about 30 years. And the people are going to tear it down themselves. He said, well, we just got a prophecy that there's going to be a terrible war. So who do we believe? I said, me. I have a good track record. You can check my prophecies. When I make a mistake, I tell you I made a mistake. I've played in the game before. I know that what it is to, to foul out. They said, well, this person's got a big name that says there's going to be a war and... Terrible things are going to happen. North Koreans are going to attack the South Koreans. And I said, well, they want to, but the Lord's going to hold it back. Hmm. Okay, so if I'm wrong, I will tell you I'm sorry. But you should hope I'm right because it saved a lot of people's lives. That's a good word. People should be held accountable. And if the word I gave, I just gave it publicly. If the word I gave is wrong, I will apologize and tell you I was wrong. I got Y2K right, though. Everybody's here will remember that. Three months before Y2K, I said, the Lord said that Y2K is being motivated by the spirit of fear and the spirit of mammon, and nothing's going to happen. And I said that when there was a risk to say it. And guess what? Nothing happened. I know, it's because you guys prayed about the other guy's word. Okay, well, we went long enough. So, we, we need a New Testament mindset. Let me just summarize. It's time to play the flute. 
Make wine at weddings. Jesus did that. Don't blame that on me. I think the Message Bible says they called him a party animal. It's just hard to be that happy with people who are screwed up. And for people not to think there's something wrong with you. But we just have so much good news. So... I think it's important that we develop accountability for ourselves and for the people around us. That as we minister, that it shouldn't be, you shouldn't get offended when somebody judges your prophetic ministry. I'm not talking about judging you. You shouldn't be offended when somebody says, that wasn't a good word. Oh, that really hurt me. Um, I don't feel like that was accurate. Those should be normal terms in our culture. Just like in, just like in pro sports. Like you got a coach there, your coach doesn't just go, awesome. Sometimes he pulls you out of the game and says, listen, you're hogging the ball. You're doing this, you're doing that. That's the idea of the coach. And I want to tell you something. The five-fold ministry, I know this is stretching it. I understand the stretching it. This is Chris's subjective opinion, which he could change tomorrow. <laughs> I think the five-fold ministry, I think a great term for five-fold ministers are coaches. I think fivefold ministries should become coaches, where the saints play the game and the fivefold ministry coaches them in their area of expertise and says, hey, that was good. Hey, I wouldn't do that again. Hey, I'm not sure why you did that. Hey, five fouls, you sit on the bench and we work through how, why that's happening. We work through why you're shooting. What's wrong with the form? You, know, you understand, this is all metaphoric. But we, we say, there's something wrong. Listen, you've gone three for 25. There's something wrong here. We need, we need to help you. We're not, we're not trying to punish you. We're not going to keep you out of the game forever. We're just saying, we need to work. We're going we're to take you into practice and we're going to work on this and we're going to put you back in next week. And not everybody gets to start. Hello? I think that's important. Jesus took the same three people to everything he did that was important and left nine people watching. He didn't have any problem having the same three starters. Not everybody gets to start all the time. And by the way, some of the three guys that didn't start evidently had the greatest impact on, on, on history even though many of them weren't written about. So it's important for us to realize that we need feedback, we need accountability, we need confrontation, not in an evil, bad way, yelling, screaming. We, just, we need that so that we can improve, so that we can become the greatest church that the world has ever seen. Would you stand, please? Hey, tomorrow's my anniversary. My wife has had 35 years of bliss. And we, were, we went together five years before that, so 40 years of heaven on earth. You remember Jesus said it, John 14, greater works shall you do. He wasn't married, I am, 35 years, greater works. I'm not sure that's true. But anyway, 
So let's pray right now, not for my marriage. Let's pray, let's pray for the Holy Spirit. Just to, <laughs> What are we praying for, Holy Spirit? Lord, we just pray right now. Put your hands out like this. <laughs> we just release supernatural ministry on people right now. People be able to move in wonders and signs and miracles, and there be a safety net below them. Come on. Lord, that you would create a community. We move out of a global orphanage into a family where people stick together, don't matter what, where people aren't punished when they make a mistake. Lord, we just pray for that right now in Jesus' name. And we pray for good news to flow out of this place. Lord, we pray for people who are watching by iBethel TV. Lord, we, just, we pray that you would just release on them this supernatural mantle and anointing, that there would be accountability and family and covenant and their lives. And Father, together, that we would be the glorious, spotless, wrinkle-free church that you prophesied that we would be. That the greatest church in human history would be alive on the planet today. And that we begin to move, not just in power, but in love, and in power, and in truth, and in passion, and in compassion. In Jesus' name, Amen.